Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Jeff Evans from Iron River, Wisconsin. Jeff is a fishing guide. He's been involved in the industry for a really, really long time. Many of you are going to be familiar with who he is already. This is our first time having him on, but he's been on my list for a really, really long time. This was such an enjoyable conversation. It's the Wisconsin Inland Opener this week. We're talking early spring walleyes revolving around uh, the Wisconsin Opener and all the anticipation and just that fun tradition around the walleye opener. Uh, but anybody that fishes walleyes or crappies, we're definitely going to give the crappies a little love in this conversation as well. Uh, anybody across the Midwest that wants to fish in the spring ought to be excited about this interview. Jeff is a very fishy dude, and this is a super, super fun conversation. He's got some entertaining stories as well. And uh, yeah, just a super nuanced angler. So let's get into this here. We've got Jeff Evans. We're talking spring walleyes and a little bit of crappies. Let's get into the interview. Start with maybe, you know, go way back, you know, where you where were you born and raised? What were some of your home bodies of water, uh, you know, at the very beginning? You know, how did you get introduced to fishing? Yeah, yeah, for sure, Taylor. And, and actually, uh, for me, it's pretty easy to think back about uh, when I first started fishing, when I first uh, had a passion for fishing. Um, I grew up, I uh, was born in Hayward, uh, Wisconsin, which a lot of people know is the musky capital of the world, uh, but just uh, a ton of fishing opportunities. And when I was born, my parents actually lived on Lacoon Ray, which is still uh, one of my favorite bodies of water to fish. And I mean, I, I remember, it's funny how times have changed over the years. I kind of feel bad for kids now, uh, but I remember being five years old uh, living in Hayward and riding my bike down to Pastica's bait shop, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Pastica's, for anybody that knows, was an institution in Hayward back in the day. But I used to ride my bike down to Pastica's bait shop, and I'd have a dollar in my pocket. And Leon Pastica would give me a Charleston Chew candy bar and a dozen night crawlers for that dollar bill. And then I'd go down below the dam there in Hayward and fish all day long. Um, and those were my, my earliest memories of fishing as a kid. And of course, my father was instrumental in, in getting me into that. And even my grandmother, Doris, uh, she loved to fish. She, she actually lived in Chicago, but she would come up and stay with us in the summertime. And, uh, and uh, my grandma would take me fishing almost daily. Uh, we'd go find some, uh, some shoreline to fish off of. She loved catching bluegills and she loved eating bluegills. And I think probably learned how to clean and flay out bluegills at a, at a pretty early age as well. So and those are my, my first memories. And, and growing up in Hayward, of course, I always remember uh, Muskie Festival as a kid was such a big deal. You know, and back in those days, I hate to date myself, but back in those days, um, uh, catch and release really wasn't much of a thing still. And uh, during Muskie Festival, they had the contest for each different species of fish. And I remember as a kid going down, going downtown, and they would have the biggest fish for each species, whether it was a muskie or a walleye, uh, laying on ice, and you got to go down and look at them. And I just remember looking at all those big fish and wondering what it would be like to catch fish like that someday. And, of course, there was a lot of legendary guides that, uh, that were working down in that area at the time, although I really didn't understand much about that profession around the Hayward area. Until later in life, um, I ended up uh, graduating from my family, uh, ended up moving to Ashland, Wisconsin, up on Shawamigan Bay, and that's where I graduated from high school. And after I graduated from high school, I took a job out on Teal Lake. It's about 20 miles east of Hayward at a place called Ross's Teal Lake Lodge. 
And uh, part of the appeal to me at that time was um, you got your own place to stay in uh, while working a maintenance job at the resort. And Ross's at the time was a, a huge full service fishing resort and had been there mul- for you know multiple generations of the Ross family. And um, the, the job that I had was as a, a boat boy or a maintenance guy, basically any dirty job that they had that they could give me, I would do. And I had my own place to stay, room and board was provided. So gosh, I was in heaven. I mean, every night, Every night I'd punch out of work and I'd get to go fishing. I had a little boat that I could use. And, and I started learning about these, uh, these guys that they had working there every day, these fishing guides. And I didn't even realize that there was such a thing, guys that actually did that for a living. And um, I'd, I'd be down at the boat landing, whether it was bailing a boat or gassing up a boat or delivering a boat to somebody. And these fishing guides would come and go. And, and of course, at the end of the day, they'd all get together at the end of the day and they'd be down telling stories and laughing. And, and I always thought that was so cool. And I'd always try to hang out down by that boat landing as much as I could to learn about those guys and just some, some legendary, legendary gentlemen. And um, lo and behold, uh, there uh, came open an opportunity where they were down a guide at one point. And the owners of the resort at that time knew that I was fishing all the time. And (laughs) to be honest with you, they were just desperate. They needed somebody to take one of their guests fishing. And uh, so they stuck me in a boat and I I picked up this guy at his dock. I can only imagine what he was thinking, because if I remember right, I had like two musky poles and maybe a handful of baits at the time. And the guy said to me, he said, uh, boy, I'd like to just go musky fishing today. And I remember thinking to myself, that's good because that's about all I got on me. And uh, we went out and uh, within probably 15 minutes, this guy had a, had a 40 inch muskie in the net. And that was, uh, that was the beginning of my fishing career uh, 31 years ago. And, uh, but it was, uh, it's really been quite a journey since then, of course, but I always, I always think back to that and, um, and how it began. And I think back to the, to the, to the legendary fishing guide that was uh, telling me about. And I say that, I say that legendary, I don't say that lightly because these guys were really, they were really cool guys. They were old school guys. Uh, They were the real deal. Uh, There was a gentleman uh, who's passed away now by the name of Milt Dykeman. Uh, Milt is is in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. He was a a retired game warden and he was just a super guy that uh, always gave me time, always talked to me, always gave me some tips and pointers. Another guy by the name of Ken Eck, another guy that's in the Fishing Hall of Fame. Um, Just another great, uh, great old time fishing guide, good musky fisherman. And then, uh, of course, my mentor and best friend for many years who passed away last year, Terry Peterson, uh, who's also in the Fishing Hall of Fame. Um, and Terry was actually the guy that put his arm around me uh, 31 years ago and, and said, hey, I, you know, I'm going to show you how to do this for a living. And, and I'm thankful to him every day for it. So I'm uh, pretty lucky to be surrounded by, by a, a crew of guys like that in a, in a time like that in my life. You do a good job of telling that story and hitting those cliff notes. But, I mean, there's got to be some stories about some things that you learned, you know, whether it was about the fishing or something super important about being a guide and how to treat a customer. There's got to be a story or two there that we can touch on, man. We got plenty of time. I would love to hear, you know, some of that stuff, you know, from early on that were just like those big learning, you know, experiences that you have memories of. Anything like that come to mind? Yeah, you know, I, I think back to uh, I think back to a guy like uh, Kenny Eck, who I was telling you about, and Kenny, you know, when I knew him, he was at the end of his life. Heck, he was guiding well into his eighties, 
And I just remember as he got towards the end, maybe, you know, physically, maybe he shouldn't have even been guiding anymore. I mean, he was having kind of a tough time getting around. But I always remember the loyalty of the people that he fished with and the same people coming back time after time after time. And even towards the end, if maybe he wasn't even catching that many fish, um, these people always just wanted to fish with Kenny. And I think it was because they, they really just enjoyed his company. Um, he always had good jokes to tell. He always kept people laughing. And I remember that made an impression on me that, you know, maybe number the one thing you can, number one thing you can do as a fishing guide is just, just give people the opportunity to have a good time when they're on the water. And, and I'll always, always remember that about, about Kenny and not to take away from his fishing at all, because the guy, the guy caught a lot of fish over the years and a lot of big muskies he was known for. And then I, I, I also remember too, you know, we talked about Milt Dykeman and Milt and, and Milton as a lot of people would call him, which was his full name. Uh, Milton was uh, amazing. You know, he'd always uh, say to me, Hey, you know, if I get an afternoon, I'd like you to hop in the boat with me. And he would take me out around Lost Land and Teal Lake. And he would show me the things that he had learned over the years. And he had fished out there since he was a kid. And I just remember soaking all that in. And this was back before GPS and all these awesome mapping systems that we have now. And Milton was the first guy to show me triangulation out on the water on how to find spots and how to remember how to get back on spots to catch fish. And that was probably, you know, at the age of 18 or 19 years old, that was the first time I really remember thinking, man, this is cool, where I can actually find a spot, get back on that same spot time and time again, just by using triangulation. And every year I try to, I try to make myself do that again on different spots when I'm on different lakes, just so I can kind of keep that skill, even though it becomes irrelevant at times. Um, especially with all the new technology we have. But I always remember that about Milton, you know, the willingness to teach me um, and to, to give me whatever time that he had on his hands. And then, of course, Terry, who I, I speak so much about and was such an important part of my life. And I, the thing I took away from Terry, the, the memory I have um, when I first started fishing with him was, number one, his enthusiasm for it. I mean, the guy guided you know, almost every day for 47 years. And every day that guy was excited to get on the water. He just absolutely loved it. And I remember him telling me when I first started guiding, he said, Jeffrey, don't ever, ever quit changing. And don't ever, ever close your mind to learning new things. And he said, as soon as you do that, you're done guiding. And, I, and I'll always remember that and try to pass that along to any, any guy or any new guide that's coming along because you have to always be striving to learn something new because as we know in fishing, there's always something new to learn. Um, and there's always new techniques, always new lakes, always new methods, uh, different things. And I think I took from Terry, I, I try to challenge myself every season to learn two or three new things, whether it's techniques or lakes or, or different fish to catch or whatever. And it, it makes, it, it makes the, the challenge, I think is what makes the passion keep growing every year. If that makes sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. I think that's phenomenal. So, you know, your business now talk a little bit about your offerings just so that we can kind of package up, you know, kind of who you are and where you're from and, and, and what you do. Yeah. So basically I offer, you know, fully guided fishing trips. 
uh, from the Wisconsin fishing opener, um, which is always the first Saturday in May. And then I guide all the way until November 1st. Um, and essentially that's seven days a week. And mostly I'm booked up a year in advance. All of my customers are repeat customers that basically, you know, keep their same days. Event, you know, over time, um, you'll have opportunities to maybe uh, a date will slide open for one reason or another, uh, but generally booked up throughout the season um, with the same people that keep coming back year after year. And uh, we fish, you know, a big area. Um, Northwest Wisconsin, I think, as a lot of people have come to know, um, offers just a lot of variety to people. Um, and it's kind of that area from Hayward to Ashland to Superior that I cover. So that allows me to cover all the inland lakes around Hayward, uh, Shawamigan Bay and the Apostle Islands around Ashland, Bayfield, and then Lake Superior as well, fishing out of Superior. So um, it's, you know, a wide variety of, of fish and opportunities, whether it's smallmouth bass, walleyes, muskies, uh, crappies, even do some early season trolling for trout and salmon. Um, so there's really, really no lack of opportunities or lack of things that we're able to do. And it seems like, you know, for me, it, it, it really helps, you know, even if you get into kind of slower periods during the season or times when the fishing gets tough, it seems like there's always some sort of an opportunity somewhere in this area to get on fish. And it's also, I think, helped me in a way that's challenged me to learn so many things. I mean, if, if you're just stuck just walleye fishing all the time, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with catching walleyes, but, you know, if that's all you do every day, it kind of takes away from maybe learning some other things. And I found that, you know, learning, you know, habits and aspects of different fish and different fisheries has kind of, you know, helped to make me a better overall fisherman in that process of continuing learning. And uh, so, yeah, we, we basically, we go from, from the 1st of May or, or the opening day in May all the way to, to November 1st and uh, cover a lot of water and a lot of lakes and a lot of fish throughout the season. Oh, yeah, man. And we'll never overstate you know the opportunities that... The, the quality opportunities, multi-species, you know, it's not just that there's walleyes there. There's a lot of nice walleyes there. I mean, I could just scroll, you know, through your Facebook page and see that there's nice smallmouths, there's nice crappies. I mean, it's, uh, you know, talk about the land of opportunities. So I just think it's really cool and fascinating for, you know, you and, and some, you know, some of the other guys, you know, the guys that are working in the industry in that part of the world, um, you know, you're really multifaceted and, uh, definitely, uh, you know, you definitely have that, that Rolodex, that repertoire of, of skill sets. And I definitely, definitely want to tap into that because we are kind of at that, that really like special time of year. We're talking about, you know, it's the opener for you every year. Like what's that for you? You know, when you look at the opener, do you start guiding right out the gate, just hot and heavy? Is it a walleye deal for you uh, when you look at, at the opener? And I'm not saying necessarily specifically this year, but just historically for you, what is the tradition of Wisconsin's fishing opener? Yeah, so historically, you know, everybody thinks about walleyes, right? Well, I mean, and, and you know, that's a, that's a common theme in the upper Midwest and no different here. I mean, you know, that opening weekend, if you can get on a good walleye bite, um, that always seems to be the big draw. But, you know, gaining steam and momentum here lately has been smallmouth bass fishing early uh, with with the uh, change in laws here where we have a year-round catch-and-release season on our inland lakes. 
So that's been kind of an interesting development over the last several years, you know, where most people didn't think about smallmouth bass fishing until, you know, later on in May when things started to warm up or fish started to move shallow for spawning. But now you're actually seeing a lot of guys starting to target smallmouth bass, you know, and obviously it'll be a lot of pre-spawn fishing early in the season. And boy, you know, the other thing is, the other thing, and, and you might find it surprising, um, but gosh, one of my favorite things to do early in the season is catch crappies. Um, whenever I have a chance to get on a good crappie bite and, you know, they, it, it always seems like early on opening, opening weekend, it seems like you can get on a good crappie bite if you can find the right, uh, the right, uh, set up the right situation. So I have a hard time pulling myself away from that as well, but, uh, definitely, I mean, if you, if you pulled a lot of fishermen, obviously they're going to tell you walleyes, 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 but it, I, I think that's not just the only early opportunity, you know, uh, smallmouth bass and crappies are definitely right in there as well. Do you feel like personally, you feel like you have maybe like a little bit of a specialty or something that you're just like really something that you're just really stuck to? You know, yeah, I have a hard time getting away from a good crappie bite in the spring, uh, Taylor. I just, I, I love it. Uh, when, you, when you get those first nice big fish and start moving in shallow um, and they're aggressive and they haven't been picked on for a while, I think that uh, that to me is just about as fun as anything. Um, don't get me wrong, a, a big, fat, heavy pre-spawn smallmouth hitting a suspending jerk bait. I'm not going to turn down that opportunity either. So, boy, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time pinning me down on one fish there with that question. How far apart are some of these patterns? I mean, if you're if you're you know planning a two or three or four day weekend, whether you're you know doing it DIY or say I'm uh, you know calling uh, you know trying to get on your list for that time of year and go with a guide, I mean, you know, is there opportunity where you can kind of target some of these fish throughout the day? Maybe uh, you know you can do a walleye deal in the morning and maybe daytime for crappies. Walk me through some of that kind of opportunity and what that kind of looks like. Oh yeah, for for sure, absolutely. In fact, that that is real common. Where we'll early in the season we'll split up our days between species, and because we have a lot of lakes so close together, it's real easy to lake hop. Um, you know, you might be on a lake that's got a good walleye bite going, and let's say that's a morning bite, which can be typical, right, especially early in the season. And as the day wears on, that bite starts to slow down. Uh, you might drive just 10 miles down the road, find a little pothole lake uh, where the ice has been off for a while and the crappies are biting like crazy. Um, or or uh, you might be on the same lake that you were catching walleyes on and decide you want to switch it up in the afternoon. And a lot of times that afternoon sun will uh, get those smallmouth going, those pre-spawn smallmouth going. You know, those, those early season smallmouth are just waiting for every opportunity to get in shallow, uh, waiting for that water to start touching 50 degrees. So if you get a nice, warm, sunny day, uh, spending an afternoon catching pre-spawn smallmouth and really not too far from the same locations you're catching walleyes, that's, yeah, that's a very attainable goal. What are you maybe predicting for this spring or that, you know, this year's opener, maybe not specifically opening day, but I'm just trying to encompass, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, you know, this early part of the season when it's a late spring like this and you look back, uh, can you look back on some years that might've had similar conditions and what, what you remember from those years and what happened? Yeah, sure. Taylor. I've actually been thinking about it a lot here uh, over the last few weeks, just when, you know, with reality setting in that this is going to be a late ice out 
And you have to go back to 2013, 2014 uh, were the last years where we had late ice like this. And kind of going back in my memory and then even going back in my notes a little bit, um, it's really, really going to create for a challenge, um, especially that first week, you know, so for us it'll be that first week of May because things are going to start real slow. I mean, I think that's just going to be inevitable. You're going to have real cold water. You're going to have probably real negative fish. I mean, everything this year is happening so slowly. Uh, the melt and the thaw is happening so slowly. So, you know, I would assume we're just going to have, you know, real negative or even neutral fishing conditions to start out with. But then, you know, but, you know, then what could happen and what happened back in 2014 is if we get a few warm, sunny days and it doesn't take many, maybe only one or two, things can start happening in a hurry. I mean, that walleye spawn can be, be on and done in the blink of an eye. I mean, I'm talking in a matter of 24 to 48 hours. Um, the smallmouth bass can just all of a sudden, with a snap of a finger, be up in less than five feet of water. Uh, crappies could be right up uh, tight along shorelines ready to spawn. So I, I think the, the biggest thing I would probably um, relate to anybody who's putting together a game plan is be ready for things to start happening quickly. If you go out those first few days of the season and it's a slow bite, you're really not getting on fish, things seem negative, don't put the boat away for a month and, and think, oh, I'm just going to lay off. I would be ready for things to happen quickly. Because If I remember right, in 2014, it was, it was exactly that way, real slow opening weekend, um, kind of a negative, negative mood with the fish, not catching much. And then we had a, a warm three or four days, and then bam, it was like everything in the lake was alive and ready to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of fascinating. A lot of learning comes from it, especially, you know, some of the tougher you know, it's just like a, like a tournament when when the anglers, you know, whether it's a bass tournament or a walleye tournament or something, when 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 a tournament go a bunch of good tournament anglers go somewhere and it's a really tough bite, it might be kind of painful to watch or painful to keep track of, but there's always like, you know, really some compounded learning curves. You know, it's like somebody's gonna catch them, and uh, you know, it, it just trying to figure out the rhyme or reason to that can just you know just definitely be make for quite a memory you know like you said you, you, you thinking back you know almost 10 years ago to the last time but you got some pretty good memories on that I mean what 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 would be a good bite for us to pick apart you, do you want to talk about crappies you want to talk about walleyes well we definitely let's talk about walleyes I mean I think a lot of your listeners are going to be interested or curious as the as the what that what what might be going on for that so let's start with walleyes and I'm, I'm with you on that so let's let's talk about it a little bit how do you break down water and, and and what are some of the things that you do to try to get a feel for what's going on out there and, and, and sort of when you're looking at, you know, trying to understand what you're looking at and break it down? What, what are some of the details there that you're really paying attention to just to try to get a feel for what's going to be going on the first day or two? Yeah, so with a late ice out um, in, uh, when I'm thinking about walleyes, I'm really targeting the spawn, okay? Because like, you know, like I said, our spawn can happen really fast here. It's not something that drags out over weeks. 
And with the late ice out, you're going to want to identify areas where you think those fish are going to be spawning. Um, and it, I mean, to me, that's not real hard. Um, you're going to want to look at sandy gravel points that stick out into the main lake basin, um, especially anything that's real tapered. Um, you don't want to look at sharp drop-offs. You want to look at slow tapers out to the main lake basin. So that could be a point. That could be maybe um, maybe a main lake reef that tops out at 10 feet of water or less, or even just a shoreline that's got a lot of sand and a lot of gravel that slowly tapers out. And I would, you know, look at a lake, look at your mapping and target five or six areas that meet that description on the lake. And then I would really, really hone in on those spots. And my tendency early is is always going to be to fish shallow. Um, I'll always start shallow, fishing uh, fast, fishing for aggressive fish, um, whether that's with suspending jerk baits um, or heavy hair jigs or heavy lipless uh, cranks, uh, jerking them and popping them off the bottom. I'll fish shallow and I'll fish fast. And if I hit two or three spots and that doesn't seem to be happening, then I'll back out a little bit, slow down a little bit. Maybe that's when we bring out the live bait, jig and minnow presentations and things like that, or even even uh, more really trying to locate fish on electronics before, you know, spot fishing them. So the big, the big thing, though, that I would try to get people to focus on is really dial in on, on the lake you're on, where you think those walleyes are going to be spawning. Um, the other thing that I want people to remember, especially when you live in an area like I do, is you have a lot of diversity to your lakes. Um, you could have one that's uh, 100 feet deep and crystal clear, uh, five miles down the road. Um, it might be um, more of a stained water lake uh, with the deepest spot being 25 feet. And so you got to think in your head, those deep, clear lakes are going to always be slow starters. Okay, um, so maybe if you're really trying to dial in on a, on a better bite early, you're going to want to think about trying to find one of these lakes that's maybe a stained water, maybe not so deep, maybe warms up a little bit quicker and gets that spawn and gets that early spring feed into gear a little bit faster. Now you talked about, you know, presentations and, um, you know, you know, kind of covering water, moving through spots, kind of, you know, fast and aggressive to try to pluck aggressive fish off how come you don't go to just a jig and a minnow right away if that's kind of the the bait to resort to or that's the more finessey bait that you know that's the classic that everybody's already thinking of doing uh you know opening week how how come you start out with those kind of baits maybe walk me through some of that decision making process because i'm sure all your years of experience have taught you something and why that is effective for you so, yeah, that's a great question, Taylor. And if we were having this discussion 15 years ago, I would have probably given you the reverse answer. Um, when it came to walleyes uh, specifically, I was always a jigged minnow guy, right? So that was always my go-to default. That's how I would begin the day. That's how I would end the day. And over the years, I've learned just through trial and error that I was missing out on a lot of really good bites uh, by not going after that aggressive bite first. Because to me, now now thinking back on it and now seeing the results of it, that, it, that aggressive bite is the easiest one to eliminate. You can fish fast, you can fish shallow, and you can hit several different spots relatively quickly and determine if it's happening or not. I mean, if you get on a point and you work that thing over for 15 minutes with, you know, let's say 15 to 30 casts, and you don't have any action, you don't have any bites, 
it's not happening. Time to move on to the next one. Whereas we know a jig and a, a jig and a minnow bite or a, or a minnow and a slip bobber, you know, whatever you're doing that way, that's more of a of a of a slow, very deliberate presentation. Um, have to exercise a lot of patience and very effective, very effective at catching fish, as we know. But again, if that aggressive bite is happening, that shallow water bite is happening, you're missing out on catching more fish. I mean, and I don't know, I mean, if it was me, I might just as soon catch 20 fish over 10 fish, if you know what I mean. Oh my gosh, I, I totally do, but I... Man, I feel like, and this is me. That this is this is part of my part of my learning curve. You know, currently, like as we speak, it, it it's not easy to think in traditional walleye terms and and think early spring. You know, like run and gun, super aggressive. I mean, I'm just I've just always expected that I'm going to end the day. You know, with a jig and a minnow. You know, jig and a shiner or whatever, pitching it away from the boat and. And, uh, but I just, I really like listening to you guys that have the experience, you know, you've got so many years of experience to back this up. And that's really, I just, I, that's really what I pull from, from conversation like this and hearing your explanation, it's just kind of, you know, whether it's me or somebody like me, that's just looking for that little extra bit of confidence to just try it, just to, just to kind of go that way. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. Usually we think jigging a minnow is what gets us the most bites and maybe artificials is, might give us some quality bites uh, over live bait in some of those situations. But early in the year, when the the the, the hot bite is maybe a, a smaller bite window or a more fleeting bite, and you got to be there to capitalize on it, it can be it can be the opposite. It can be twenty fish versus ten just by the pace of fishing. So I love that. That's a phenomenal explanation, man. Um, yeah, God dang, I think I had a couple other things written down too. Like what, um, you know, well, actually really along those same lines, you know, let's talk about it. Like I'd love to even get more technical than that. You know, talking about your, your, uh, you know, your, your, your suspended jerk baits, um, you know, and, uh, and, and the lipless cranks. Walk me through your setups. You know, what, what are some of the key, uh, key features of that presentation in terms of whether it's cadence or your rod reel line selection? Um, you know, how do you fish it? What are some of the real important elements to success with some of those, you know, th- those more aggressive presentations when you're chasing those shallow water aggressive bites? Yeah, so, so this is where I think sometimes we can overthink stuff, right? And, and so what I try to do with my equipment, especially is keep everything very basic and simple. Um, so like all of my walleye setups are going to be six, 10, uh, medium light spinning rods, uh, with a 2000 series reel on them. I'm going to have them spooled up with a 20 or 30 pound braid with a 10 foot uh, fluorocarbon leader. And I mean, I use that set up in just a million different situations throughout the season. Um, it just applies to so many different things. But when I'm, you know, as far as bait selection and lure selection goes and, and then how you work them, um, you know, when you talk about lipless crankbaits, um, you know, and, you know, a popular bait that people are going to think about is a rip and wrap. Uh, great lure, caught a, caught a ton of fish on a good smallmouth bait too early in the season, by the way. Um, but that's just, you know, a simple, real simple pitch it out, let it hit the bottom and just, you're literally ripping it back. 
letting it fall, ripping it back. And I'll switch up the cadence on that quite a bit, though, until I figure out what they like. Um, sometimes it'll be a big rip, let it fall, reel in the slack. Or other days they'll like it more where you're just kind of flicking it along the bottom. So if I've got a couple of different, uh, if I've got a couple of people in the boat, obviously I'll have people uh, doing things a little bit differently just to see if we can dial in specifically what the fish want. Um, another thing that we didn't talk about, I don't think, is like a heavy hair jig. And, you know, something that's on a quarter ounce jig head um, with, a, with a nice long hair tail on it, um, those are real effective as well. Same type of thing, either, you know, a big long rip or even smaller, smaller, um, smaller jerks along the bottom as you're bringing it back to the boat. Um, I almost call it snap jigging where you're snapping it back along the bottom. Um, two, two really, really good early presentations. Um, and then you mentioned the suspending jerk baits. Probably if you made me pick one thing um, that I like uh, the best, that's going to be one of them. Um, those suspending jerk baits, again, a great small, great, great choice for early season smallmouth, but catch a lot of early walleyes on them as well when they're in less than 10 feet of water. Biggest thing with those suspending jerk baits, Taylor, is the pause. You hear that a lot. I mean, I'm not, I'm not inventing anything here, but the pause is always the key, and it's a snap, snap, pause, retrieve all the way back to the boat. But sometimes that pause has got to be painful. It's really, it's really unbelievable. Sometimes, a lot of times with that presentation, you'll feel the fish come up and bump it. Um, as you're snapping it back, you'll feel something like something wasn't right. You know, it was a fish, but you didn't hook up. And I just tell people, just stop, just stop. And you can't believe, I mean, how many times it's happened where that fish will come back 15, 20 seconds later and just smoke that bait. Um, so I just tell people, just, you know, work it as slow as you can in the pause. The twitches and the snaps can be fairly aggressive, but make sure you let that, let that uh, bait hang in the zone as long as you can right in front of those fish. And um, a lot of times, like I said, if you make that pause, uh, last as long as you can. Sometimes that's the key to trigger invites. I'm glad that you're painting that picture, man. Because I mean, here we are. You know, we, we you know, it's been a year since we've, uh, you know, been anticipating the opener, and it's like it's all all the memories and all the all the things we kind of got to knock the rust off anyway. So, talking about uh, both the basics and the high level stuff, it's uh, it all counts for something. Do you feel like here's a question? Do you feel like you look at spots or fish spots, you know, differently, whether it's uh, maybe say, you know, your boat control or boat positioning, how you uh, have the ability to cast maybe a little farther with the artificial baits versus a jig and a minnow or, or is there anything along those lines as far as your fishing strategy that you, you also feel like gives you an advantage? Yeah, I got to tell you over the years, um, and, and I think this is just becomes one of those things where the light bulb comes on and a lot of guys have figured it out. Um, if I have the opportunity and obviously within reason, I really, really like fishing in the wind, meaning fishing a shoreline or a spot where the wind is crashing in on it. And if I can reasonably hold the boat in position, um, obviously being safe, um, that, that those are areas that I really, really key in on and, and hone in on first. Um, and regardless of the time of the year, really, but especially in the early season, if I can find a good shoreline with a good wind that's kind of rolling in and crashing in, and I can reasonably keep the boat in position to make good casts, uh, those are really, really areas that I, that I key in on when possible. Right on, man. Right on, man. I love it. Let's see. Um, 
you know, I want to give some of them crappies uh, love. I, I, you know, I, I'm probably a little slim, a little light this spring on on good crappie interviews, honestly, because there's the the walleye questions and and just you know just a lot of requests along those lines. But me personally, I love I love you know putting aside a couple of oper- a couple of days worth of opportunities to go chase crappies, especially in the spring. It's just you know I'm kind of like you when you were talking about that earlier. I was like. Man, I was really, really relating to you on that stuff. So maybe, you know, as we round this out, we still got enough time. We can cover some ground here. Let's maybe just do maybe not as in-depth or quite as as much as the walleye stuff, but let's just maybe do a little bit of a crappie breakdown along the same lines. You know, what are some of the good patterns look like on the different lakes in in your area and just, uh, you know, just some of the good presentations or strategies for getting them? Yeah, so when you're breaking down the early crappie thing, um, the biggest, biggest thing to keep in mind is water temperature. And I don't think that people realize that it doesn't take but a fraction of a degree to make a difference. I mean, I'm talking about a quarter of a degree, a half a degree in water temperature can make a difference uh, between fish coming in shallow and fish not being there. And what I like to do when, you know, if I'm breaking down a particular lake is I like to find a shallow bay um, that would be on the north side of the lake. The north sides of these lakes get a little more sun exposure every day and they heat up just a little bit quicker. So if I can find a bay on the north side of a lake and then better yet, if I can find a boggy shoreline, um, if you can think of, you know, what kind of boggy areas look like with a mud bottom, those areas seem to heat up the quickest and attract fish, attract fish the quickest. So that, that'd be the kind of the biggest thing I'd tell people to, to look for and to really, really dial in on north sides of the lake, shallow bays with a boggy shoreline. And if you find that scenario, if you find that situation, if you can find some old vegetation in there, whether it's, you know, old weeds from last year, maybe it's some weeds that might be starting to pop up. Um, anything that'll kind of hold a little more heat, those are all key areas to, to, to target. Right on, man. And and how do you break it down? I mean, are you just standing up tall uh, in the bow of your boat looking for fish with your eyes? Are you utilizing your electronics pretty heavily? Um, you know, besides water temperature, are you utilizing your, your electronics heavily? Um, you know, or are you just searching with baits? I mean, what does that kind of look like for you when you're just trying to find those active fish? So it's an all-in, all, kind of an all-in approach, and fish very, very aggressively. You know, like we were talking about earlier with the walleye fishing. Um, but I'll use the electronics for sure. Number one, I'm using that for water temperature, right? So I'm looking for the warmest water I can. And even in a, even if you're breaking down a bay, there might be a part of the bay that has a little warmer water in it than the other part of the bay. The other thing is obviously using the electronics to locate any of that vegetation that we're talking about. So I'm definitely using that as part of the, as part of the presentation. And then it's, it's kind of interesting. So what I use a lot early in the season um, is a slip bobber. And of course, right away you think, well, how in the heck can you fish a slip bobber aggressively? And actually it's an incredible, incredible aggressive tool to use if, if you do it right. Um, what I'll do is I'll use that slip bobber and I'll put a small plastic underneath it, like, you know, a small tube jig on a 32nd ounce uh, jig head. And you can find these heavy, like I like to use wobble bobbers. If you, if you see those in the bait shop and those wobble bobbers are nice and heavy and you can just bomb them a long way. And what I'll do, 
is when I get in an area that I think is going to hold fish, I'll just start bombing cast as far as I can, and I'll, I'll and I'll fairly aggressively work that bobber back to the boat. I'll jiggle it a little bit, let it sit, and I'll maybe reel it ten feet, jiggle it a little bit, let it sit, and I'll kind of keep doing that halfway back to the boat. If I don't get a strike, I'll just bomb it out in another direction, and I just kind of keep on covering water until I start getting bites. And I think a big thing early in the season, whether it's crappie, smallmouth, or walleyes, just don't get stuck doing something for too long. I mean, if it isn't happening for you, start looking for new water. But, you know, kind of aggressively fishing those plastics and their slip fibers, it's a great early season way to go and a great way to locate fish. Right on. Like, on some of these lakes, I mean, and it's probably more than some, a lot of the lakes in your area are holding pretty fishable populations of walleyes and fishable populations of crappies. Early in the spring, you know, like we're talking here, like how far apart are these fish? Like how far apart is a good-looking crappie spot from a good-looking walleye spot? I mean, like what's the proxy there? Like, Because I feel like just about anybody that's trying to get out in your part of the world ought to be ready for both, not? Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely be ready for both. And I think maybe the best way to answer that question is between the two, you want to think opposite. Okay, so with walleyes, you're thinking hard bottom, sand and gravel near main lake basins, right? So that's going to be the location for your walleyes. With crappies, you're looking for backwater bays, something that's about as far away from the main lake basin as you can find with a mucky bottom and a boggy shoreline. So you're actually looking for kind of two completely different areas where you're going to target those different fish. I love it, man. This is awesome information, and I, I I don't know why I feel like we just started talking and why I feel like we should talk for like another two hours to really cover this stuff, but what haven't I asked you? What is something that you'd like to say in an interview like this? Like, we're talking, you know, Wisconsin fishing opener. What what are some of the things that we just have to touch on uh, along these lines that I haven't asked you already? You know, I, I think we, we've covered a lot of great stuff, Taylor, but I, I think... Um, the biggest thing maybe to, to hammer home is just keep in mind the diversity of all the different fishing opportunities that we have up here. I mean, it's not just walleye, it's not just crappies, it's not just smallmouth bass. Heck, we have some world-class, uh, world-class trout streams and rivers. I mean, we have people that travel from all over the country to fish the Brule River, uh, which is right out my back door here. And, um, you know, Lake Superior, I mean, that's just a whole other Pandora's box that we can get into with fishing opportunities. So I think the biggest thing, you know, when people come over here early in the season, I don't get stuck on one thing. And, you know, if you have something in mind, like you're going to fish a particular uh, lake for walleyes, and that just doesn't seem to be happening, uh, you know, stay loose and stay flexible. Um, you know, go smallmouth bass fishing, go crappie fishing, go pike fishing. You know, musky fishing obviously opens later in the season, but there's just so many different types of bodies of water, so many different opportunities. Don't just get stuck uh, thinking one thing or going with one mindset because you're really, you're really missing out on a lot of good fishing, a lot of good fishing and a lot of good different things you can do. Oh, Jeff, this is awesome. This is excellent. I mean, this is, you know, truly is kind of a long time coming up. I've had you on my list for a long time. I'm glad we were able to finally get her done for the first time anyways. Um, But this is a long time coming and uh, I've just really, really, really enjoyed this great information. I think it will really resonate just with the tradition of the opener. I think people just probably enjoy 
a good opening, you know, Wisconsin opener conversation, uh, but also a lot of great technical information in here that I think is there's definitely some anglers that are thinking of some thinking uh, about some stuff that they weren't thinking before. So great, great, great stuff, Jeff. Let's wrap this up. Let everybody know where they can get a hold of you. Maybe look up some content or just anything whatsoever that you want to promote so that uh, uh, people can go check it out. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks a lot, Taylor. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, best way to get in touch with me or kind of see what we're all about is go to my website, uh, jeffevansfishing.com. Um, we're also on social media. We've got a, a Facebook page, Jeff Evans Fishing Company, and uh, Instagram page as well, Jeff Evans Fishing Company. And don't hesitate to reach out if you're looking to come over here. I've got a bunch of great guides that I work with. And if I don't have an opportunity or, or a date open, um, there's a good chance I could probably connect you with one of the uh, awesome partners that I work with. So um, I, hope, I hope, to hear from, hope to hear from you. And I really appreciate you having me on, Taylor. Yeah, man. The tradition and just, you know, the excitement around an opener of fishing, I can definitely, I can definitely kind of latch onto that and, and the energy around it the conversations that we have you know i'm kind of spoiled out here in the dakotas to an extent we're spoiled that we can target these fish year round so if we have an early spring or whenever spring happens you know there's no opening day the switch doesn't go on and off i mean it's just kind of whenever you can get your boat out and um you know some years it's it's more fun or easier than others but it's almost we're almost sort of missing out on what the opportunities you know in like minnesota and wisconsin for example where there's an opener and just the excitement around that and just how much fun it is to just get excited about it is uh that in itself is just a fun thing but anyways jeff yeah man i will let you go for real this time this is phenomenal i can't i mean i i knew it was gonna go so good um and uh yeah i just hate to I don't know. I just hate to hang up on you. I feel like I, I should ask you 25 more questions, but and, uh, I'll let you go for real this time and I'll, I'll shoot you a text when this thing comes out. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, man. We'll talk to you. Take care.